0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: It's not about us trying to figure out how we can soften the blow or waiting for the perfect time. People say, you know, I'm going to share the gospel with my family someday. Problem is, when I look on the calendar, I see Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but I don't see someday
0: Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed by each and every one of you for choosing to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And as always, we encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith delivers another message from his sermon series entitled, Rethinking Church. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Father, be our vision, Lord. Help us to see your will and do it. Father, to be, as it were, in this lost world, in this wilderness, a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord, because we know. We know, Lord, that we have to live with urgency. Time is short. Every day is a day closer to our departure, even, even through the rapture, Lord, and the second coming, or, or you're calling us home. So help us to redeem the time as your people, as the church, as we rethink church and our devotion to the church. We pray these things in devotion to you and in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'm about to say is not one of your normal pastor uh, opening illustrations. It's a true story. We had a resort guest once in South Florida in 1983 and 1984 Christopher Wilder. He was a race car driver, he raced in the Miami Grand Prix. He uh, was a professional photographer, and I never met him. I heard about him because he was the only one of our guests to ever die in a police shootout. Uh, He was killed uh, as as they attempted to arrest him, and he resisted arrest because Christopher Wilder was a serial killer. Yep, he was. Uh, And and, and just before I go any further, let me just say this, you know, I'm not passing judgment on him or his criminality, and I'm not passing judgment, and I'm not harshly judging serial killers. I mean, we've never walked in their shoes, I'm sure some of them were born that way, and we don't... You know, we don't know about their lived experience in the sense that you know we don't know how they were raised or what they were subjected to or even what their genetics were. I mean, they're human beings, right? Created in the image and likeness of God, and and you know, many of them probably, even him maybe, lacked some of the benefits and privileges that we had growing up in a nice household or something. And so, I guess you know, before we judge them, we should take the log out of our own eye and uh, first and realize and maybe confess that we had advantages that they lacked before we punched down on them and criticized them. Don't so know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Keith, have you lost your mind? No, I haven't. I'm illustrating a point in our culture, and that is that we live in an era where the church seems to have lost its mind and lost its voice to speak into the culture Uh, The church has largely rendered itself irrelevant and lost her prophetic voice in my little speech about Christopher Wilder, and that's a true story, by the way. Uh, You know, these days, before we address an issue as Christians, we have to spend about a half an hour qualifying everything we're about to say. And I got the idea because Bodie Bachum did this. I, I was watching a sermon of his and I didn't know where he's coming from, and I thought he'd lost his mind. You know, because we we now almost pride ourselves on speaking without authority and without conviction instead of speaking as those with authority, the authority of the Word of God. And so as we rethink church and our devotion to the church. This sermon really was going to come at the end of the series, but I felt moved to place it here. It's a bit out of sequence, but I think it's timely because I just look at the age around us and the compromise and the lack of integrity. And when I look at how the church today has almost conformed itself to the culture to the point that it's like the culture and therefore has lost its standing in the culture or something that's different, I realize that no one took it away from us. We gave it away. We forfeited it. How? In part through biblical illiteracy and a lack of emphasis on what the scriptures say. Uh, Apparently we've lost confidence in the scriptures and we care more about experience. You hear a lot about lived experience today. You know, I look at it today, and the church cares more about Barna surveys than it does the Bible. It it has ceded its authority to the culture, and it looks to the culture to learn how it should behave. It, it's it's lost its mind, it seems sometimes. And these days, you hear all kinds of things about surveys or scripture, or you hear people talk about being spiritual less than you know, and but they're not righteous. Uh, seeking rather than being saved. We have a greater concern about being nice, forgetting the fact that Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth. And today it's all grace but very little truth. And it's, it's like we've lost Christ's balance. And we can no longer articulate our beliefs. We have this perverted idea of compassion about making people feel supported and loved in their sin in, in the name of loving the sinner but hating the sin. And so we avoid calling people to repentance because we might hurt their feelings. We, we avoid telling them they have to hate their sin because we're afraid that we'll injure their esteem, which is often wrapped up in their lifestyle and their identity. But that's part of the Great Commission. We're supposed to go and make disciples. And how did Jesus do that? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the fact is, God doesn't love all sinners, but he does hate all sin. I mean, think of the Canaanites or Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we have to be very careful that we don't become so broad to be accepted that we lose Christ's acceptance. We don't want to be so broad that we're incapable of speaking the hard truths in a convicting way. Because when truth is spoken plainly in our society, it's labeled as unkind or punching down. We're just so afraid of not being liked. It's almost pathetic. I was watching a social commentator, and he was talking about a trans activist. And he made this comment that even with 50 pounds of makeup and plastic surgery, it doesn't change who he is. He's not a woman. He's a man. And people piled all over him. Why? Because they said he was not saying it very nicely. They said that he was being mean. But the reality is, I think he was being loving. Because that person needed to hear that. And I wondered as I looked as if he had taken a page out of the emperor's new clothes. Have you ever read that childhood novel? Two swindlers arrive in the capital city of an emperor who spends lavishly on clothing and posing as weavers. They convince him they're going to make magnificent clothes for him that are invisible to everyone who is stupid. So the emperor hires them and they set up looms and they go to work and there's this succession of officials who go in and check on their progress. Even the emperor himself... And each sees empty looms, but they're afraid to say the obvious, and so they pretend to see all these fine clothes being made to avoid being called a fool. And finally, the the weavers report that the emperor's suit is finished. They mime dressing him, and he sets off through this glorious procession in the city. And the townsfolk are sitting there uncomfortably looking at him with no clothes. But they don't want to appear and after stupid. And finally, this child blurts out, Mommy, why doesn't he have any clothes on? And everybody's uncomfortable. They realize they've been fooled. But the emperor, in his pride and arrogance, walks more proudly on than ever. Like this child, the commentator pointed out the obvious. A man can't become a woman and a woman can't become a man, no matter what your school counselor or your principal says. And unbelievably, this commentator received much of his criticism from the Christian community. Now, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I'm not sure. But I know this. Sometimes the truth hurts and everybody needs to hear the truth. We see examples of this all over scripture, like Nathan the prophet confronting David and his adultery. Or Jonah going to Nineveh. Or John the Baptist calling the Pharisees, brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Or Paul calling out Peter in Antioch publicly, it's recorded in Galatians. Or John, the apostle of love, naming names and criticizing the chief elder of the church at Ephesus, Diotrephes. Paul criticizing Demas, who loved this world more than Christ. And Paul's criticism of Hymenaeus and Alexander. How do we know about these? Because they're given to us as examples from the scriptures. Then there's Jesus calling the Pharisees and the scribes hypocrites and liars. That's prophecy. We think of prophecy as predicting the future. We don't predict anything. We only declare the word of God. So God tells us what the future is going to be. And we declare his word that way in those days. But prophecy also, in the Old Testament and the New, was proclaiming the word of God to the people, speaking the truth in love from God, even though the truth hurts, calling a nation like Israel to repentance. That is what a prophetic voice is, a voice crying in the wilderness. And so today, I want to talk to you about the church and her prophetic voice, how It can, how we can regain that. Today's message is entitled Regaining the Church's Prophetic Voice and how it lost it in the first place. I think we've talked about that already. So let's talk about how we regain our prophetic voice. The big idea here is the church's problem today is churches choose niceness over truth, over clarity. And in so doing, they forfeit their prophetic voice. And the church has lost its voice because it wants to be Accepted by the culture, and therefore it accommodates the culture in order to make itself relevant rather than change the culture. So, enough complaining, okay? What do we do about this? Well, today I'd like you to think about and remember four components of the prophetic calling found in 2 Timothy so that we can look at these components and incorporate them into our ministries, into our lives into our speech and let me just organize it this way remember the gravity of the call number one remember the call itself number two remember the necessity of all of it and remember the mindset required to fulfill the call our passage today is second timothy four one through five part of the pastoral epistles which is about the operation of the church contextually here Paul is passing the baton to Timothy before Paul's execution and he encourages his timid protege to be bold and to fulfill his own prophetic calling not to lose sight of his calling and in so doing lose sight of the church's calling and this is recorded not just for Timothy but for the people then and there to remember why they were there and how they are to be And it's recorded for us here and now as well because there are difficult days ahead in our culture. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Look for the action words here, the action verbs. Look at what he says. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach. The word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For because the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to accommodate their own passions, their own itching ears, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You can't help but notice a series of commands and prescriptions there for Timothy and for the church, because this is part of the pastoral epistles. And what we want to do is look at these commands together and examine them and apply them because this is necessary for the church in America and every church to regain its prophetic call. And the first component here that we want to look at, the first piece, is the gravity of the call. The gravity, the severity, the seriousness, the importance, the necessity of the call. It is a grave call. Where do we see that? Verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in kingdom. I mean, there it is. It used to be in times past, generals, uh, military leaders received commissions with great pomp and circumstance in the presence of of their commander-in-chief or their king or their president to remind them of the gravity of their role, of their mission that they perform, and that they perform that mission for an audience of one, the commander-in-chief. And you look at First Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in kingdom. Couple of things there. Number one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, not the culture, not men. You're accountable. We're accountable. Timothy was accountable. I'm accountable as a preacher, as a pastor, to God and Christ, not the culture, not anything other than God. And the elders are accountable in the same way here to also hold me accountable and you're accountable. I charge you in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is he? The one who died for our sin. He died for our sin, not our feelings, not our self-esteem, not our comfort, not our pleasure. He died to reconcile us as those heading to hell, to reconcile us to God And this charge, the gravity of this charge cannot be overstated. Because in this passage, he is to judge the living and the dead. And then, don't miss this, and by his appearing in his kingdom, he's coming back. He's coming back at a time that maybe we don't expect or know. And he's going to judge the living and the dead. By his appearing, time is running out. And our charge, our commission, our, 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 our command is grave. Here it's the call of an apostle in the presence of God to a pastor who's replacing him. Paul is going to die. He's going to be beheaded. We know that. It is a call. It is a commission. It is a charge To a church, these epistles were read out loud to the congregation. It's a reminder that there is, in terms of gravity of this call, no higher authority, no higher governing authority in the universe. And I think also, an allusion to the fact that many of us will die before the rapture or the second coming. We get old, we get sick, we die, but in... This season of life that we're in, we have this calling, this prophetic calling that we live out, that we speak in our homes to our children, to our spouses, to our neighbors. It is a serious call, a serious call, a grave calling, a call from God commissioning us Commissioning Timothy, he commissioned Paul. A call from the king, the commander-in-chief, the sovereign of the universe. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that call? Here's three simple suggestions for application. Number one, remember the call itself and the one who gave it. Who he is and what he's done for you. He's given you eternal life. He's given you his son He's put his spirit in you to enable you to do things in him that you could not do on your own. And remember the call. It's not for you to disobey it. Number two, remember the call and remember who called you and what you cost him. His one and only son. Separated for a season, for an instant. Oh God, oh God, why hast thou forsaken me on the cross because of your sin? So obligate yourself to be faithful to this grave and this serious and glorious call number three, honor your commission. Remember the call, honor your commission. No church, no Christian has any right to play cultural Judas. That's the gravity of this call. Which brings us to our second component. Number two, always remember the call itself. The call itself. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. You find your prophetic voice in these commands. Preach. It's in the imperative mood, the active voice. it's 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 a timeless command. Preach what? Not a survey. Preach the word of God. How? Be ready. Be ready how? Regardless of the timing, in season and out of season, regardless of the cost, regardless of the receptivity of the crowd, regardless of the willingness of those to listen, regardless of whether or not you feel up to the task. I think of Isaiah's commission. You know, he sees the Lord high in glory, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then he hears the Lord say, who will we send? And he says, send me. And he goes, I will send you. I'm going to send you to a people who will not listen to you. And you will proclaim my word. You will speak my word to them and they will not listen. In season and out of season. Our responsibility is, in a manner of speaking, to deliver the goods, to deliver the message. It's not about us trying to figure out how we can soften the blow or waiting for the perfect time. People say, you know, I'm going to share the gospel with my family someday. Problem is, when I look on the calendar, I see Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But I don't see someday. Someday never comes.